0: an investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. And today, it's my honor to welcome my guest, Miss Kirsten Stoley. She is a visual artist whose works in elaborate collage, text-based images, and installations intersect art, science, and culture. Her work is research-based, uniquely examining the global influence of agrochemical companies on our food system. She delves into propaganda, greenwashing, corporate advertising strategies, and the historical ties between Bayer, Monsanto, and chemical warfare. Ms. Stoley's artwork has the potential to bring new perspectives to contemporary scientific issues, raise awareness, and promote critical thinking. Her work is included in permanent collections and exhibits in museums and galleries across the United States and the European Union. Her work has been published in numerous magazines, including Harper's and The Atlantic, and she is the recipient of numerous grants, awards, residencies, and fellowships. Ms. Stoley received a BA in visual arts from Framingham State University and completed studies at Richmond College in London, England, and Massachusetts College of Art in Boston. She currently lives in Asheville, North Carolina. Welcome, Kirsten.
1: Thank you so much, Melinda. Excited to talk to you today.
0: Well, I am curious. As a visual artist, how did you become interested in issues related to the food system?
1: Yeah, thanks for that question. It started in the 1990s. I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area, and my mom, who's a anti-GMO activist, was living in Santa Cruz, and she invited me to go down to Santa Cruz to participate in this protest puppet theater parade. And I agreed, and so I drove down to watch the parade. I'm an introvert at heart, so I didn't really want to be in it, but I was happy to participate and support her. And it was really exciting, and my mom dressed up as a strawberry with fish gills, and you might wonder why. And the reason was, if folks remember, in 1995 and 1996, Monsanto Chemical Company was trying to genetically engineer a strawberry with a flounder gene, And the reason they were trying to do that was to create a strawberry that would withstand cold temperatures, so they could have more growing time. So my mom was dressed up as that. And it failed, just so you know. So I was introduced through her and her activism. And that was in the 90s. And then I went about my life and I was a vegetarian at the time. And in the early 2000s, I was eating a lot of Soy based foods, and I started developing a lot of health issues from them, or at least I thought I was, un- you know, it was unclear, but something was going on. And so I learned, and I had remembered going to that protest with my mom and her activism that this thing called genetic engineering or genetically modified organisms was happening specifically with soy, corn, and canola. And so I started researching the companies that were doing this and why they were doing it. And it turns out Monsanto chemical company was one of them and Dow company was another. And I was trying to understand why a chemical company associated with herbicides and pesticides from World War II and Vietnam would want to genetically engineer a plant. And so it turns out they were trying to genetically engineer plants to withstand a whole bunch of herbicides and pesticides that they had developed for war. And so that sort of got me down this whole rabbit hole of the chemical companies vis-a-vis my health issues. So that's the beginning of it, basically.
0: You pulled out a really important point there in that we, the consuming public, we are told that the reason for genetic engineering is to feed the world and to Mm -hmm. increase yields. But you hit on a very important conclusion, and that is that really what genetic engineering did was indeed to make it so that these agribusiness companies could sell more herbicides. These genetically modified seeds are engineered to withstand the spraying of chemicals. And the impact of these chemicals on public health has been underappreciated. In an interview that you did with the Billboard Creative, you said that your intention is to open people's eyes but not be obvious Tell me what you mean by that.
1: Yeah, it starts with when I come to art, I want to be moved, excited, maybe even angered, who knows, but I want to have a response. And with my art and the subject that I tackle, I'm interested in bringing people to it to have a critical eye and to be open to possibilities and to engender a curiosity about the work so that there's an openness there. So I don't want it to be overly didactic, beat you over the head. I don't want to, you know, I'm not an artist that's creating a poster that says Monsanto sucks. That's just not my thing. But I will create art that plays with the advertising, with the language that Bayer and Monsanto and Dow Chemical use, the imagery, the text, anything like that, that can deepen and complicate the misinformation, the disinformation that I believe is going on, but in a way that isn't super overt most of the time. Mm -hmm.
0: I'm sure that your audience appreciates the fact that you're not preaching. Mm -hmm. And I think that the trouble with a lot of research is that it's great information, but who on earth can wade through it all? Right. And so art bridges that science to help us think. And I think that's the beauty of art. And I think it is underutilized in science and in helping people understand bigger issues.
1: Yeah, that is such an important point because like if people get on my website and look at my work, you know, I say I'm a research-based artist. So I do artistic research, which is quite different than hard science research. But what artistic research allows me and, and many other artists to do actually is, open up the possibilities and get across disciplines to consolidate and deepen a whole bunch of stuff together. And then because I'm an artist, make work using all the sort of tools in the toolbox, if you get my drift, (laughs) no pun intended. Right. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I'm laughing. I think we're both laughing because these chemicals are portrayed oftentimes to farmers as tools in a toolbox. And I listen for that phrase. I listen as university researchers use the phrase. And I think, where did that come from? And indeed, many of your artistic renditions force us to ask these critical questions. And I'm so grateful for those. Tell me about the critical questions that you hope your art brings forth.
1: I think it's understanding who's saying what, how they're saying it, and also where the money's coming from. I think those are kind of three. And I would say also like my focus, of course, is the chemical companies, the agrochemical companies, but this could be used in anything, right? In health, if you're looking at health information, if you're looking at any kind of news information to have a critical eye to not just take everything at face value. And so I think what's also important in my work is to, back to the tools we were just talking about, use the tools and the messaging and the marketing and the advertising that the chemical companies barrage us with and kind of flip it on its head. And so that what you're seeing from me is familiar enough, but it might be a little head scratching once you get close to some of my work as you engage with it a little bit more. Right. So, like to, to answer your question more fully, the critical eye and the curiosity and kind of getting more of a familiarity with what it means to have, I don't quite like this word, but I can't think of anything like a visual literacy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, which goes into like just fine art, but also visual liter- literacy when you're looking at Instagram or, television commercial or ads online, something like that, to really be open and curious does not take everything at face value.
0: Absolutely. And I think with
1: AI, it is
0: ever more important that we ask these questions about what we're seeing and hearing. So yes, there is absolutely a role for artists in the new world that we are entering. Okay. So let's dive into some of these. Let's look at a head scratching kind of exhibit. I like your term, the rainbow herbicides. This is from a work that you did titled herbs. Yes. And you have a picture. If you just were walking through a gallery and weren't paying attention, you'd see a rainbow, just a little rainbow on an otherwise gray background. Why that?
1: Ah, okay. So I need to give some context. So your listeners might be familiar with the herbicide Agent Orange, and that was chemical sprayed by the U.S. government over Vietnam during the Vietnam War. And Agent Orange was supplied by Monsanto, which is now owned by Bayer and Dow Chemical. And Agent Orange, it was sprayed on the jungles and the forest. It was sprayed on the Vietnamese people. It killed a lot of Vietnamese. It affected tons of U.S. soldiers during the war. And in addition to Agent Orange, there were other agents, and they come under this umbrella called Rainbow Herbicides, which I love that because it sounds really nice. Mm -hmm. When in truth, it speaks to the herbicide-colored bands that were on the 50-gallon drums, that were shipped over to Vietnam. So in addition to Agent Orange, there is Agent Pink, Agent Blue, Agent Green, and Agent White. Oh, and Agent Purple, I forgot one. And the specific piece you're talking about, so this project is called Herbs, H-E-R-B-S, and I named it Herbs because that was the name of the U.S. Department of Defense database that tracked these herbicides after The Vietnam War. So that particular piece, which is one of the pieces of this project, is a sticker from the 1970s. It's a very sort of like recognizable rainbow, and it's on glitter. And I often use glitter in my work because it's seductive and catchy, right? And it's sort of the antithesis of the toxic chemicals. And that's one piece, and it's partnered with a white vinyl piece. So that piece is talking about the white agent. With this series, one of the ones that's called, We Simply Had a Strong Belief, that is referencing the Agent Orange. And if you were to see it in person, it's this long vertical piece of vinyl. It's 66 inches wide by 12 inches high. And the orange vinyl, which again refers to the Agent Orange drum, is paired with a letter pressed quote from this man named Liam Condon, who was the president of the Crop Science Division of Bayer from 2018, when Bayer purchased Monsanto Company. And the quote is basically saying that they are going to retire or disappear the Monsanto brand name, because they believe that Bayer has a better public-facing brand name than Monsanto does. And I thought that was really interesting because of course we know there are hundred thousand lawsuits against Monsanto for glyphosate.
0: Right. Let me take one break and remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are joined today by Ms. Kirsten Stolle. She's a visual artist whose works in elaborate collage, text-based images and installations intersect art, science, and culture and her work uniquely examines the global influence of agrochemical companies on our food system. I wonder if you've ever had a program around your artwork, in particular, the one on these herbicides with veterans organizations. I grew up during the Vietnam era and worked at a VA hospital early in my career. And so I'm familiar with the impact of Asian Orange on health. And so just for our listeners, Agent Orange included 2,4-D and two four five 5 t 2,4-D is now being sprayed largely on corn and soy because we have new genetically resistant seeds, not only for Roundup, but also for 2,4-D now and another chemical called dicamba. Yeah. So I think that this particular body of work Has so many opportunities to reach out and touch on issues that we're dealing with today.
1: I love that idea and I haven't, but I love that idea of sort of that cross discipline, cross economic person, whatever, like a, like a, where maybe someone's not used to being in an art space, but this could be an opportunity to bring that population in. And also for me to learn for people who were directly affected by our government's use of these chemicals.
0: Right. Yeah. Your work has great potential. I want to talk about another one of your installations. If all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah. Tell our listeners what this looks like.
1: Okay. So if you were to see this installation, it is nine engraved hammers. So think of a wooden handled hammer with a metal top, just like you'd use in your garage. And on each hammer is engraved a word or two words that reflect marketing phrases associated with Bayer, Monsanto, and Dow Chemical. For example, one says crop science, one says weed prevention, one says plant protection. one says agricultural innovation. And they are installed in the gallery horizontally in a line so that the hammer is facing down and you can go up to the installation and then you can read each engraved marketing phrase as you look around it. And the quote or in the title of the piece, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. This speaks to pesticides as blunt instruments. So for example, a hammer, and also the mass deployment of chemicals that we are now come to use in industrial agriculture.
0: Mm-hmm. The reason why I chose this particular body of work is because when we look at alternative forms of agriculture, and I'm thinking organic specifically, ways that we can produce abundant food without poisoning our environment and harming public health, this kind of education is not available at most land-grant universities. So students graduating from agricultural programs or turf management programs, they never learn to look at anything else all they have is the hammer. They have to go to other departments like rural sociology, for example, in order to learn there is an alternative. And Monsanto, of course, it's no longer Monsanto. It's now called Bayer. But Monsanto has built itself as a sustainable agriculture company, which because we don't have a standard definition for sustainable, anybody can use it or co-opt it. But I think that you really hit home, no pun intended, <laughs> on using hammers to help people see that, yeah, what are the alternatives and why aren't we learning about
1: them? I have a lot of thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's the barrage of disinformation and misinformation, I think. And, and also humans, we only have so much time in our day and, and we're trying to feed our families and we're trying to work our jobs and we're trying to live our life. And so If you're just constantly barraged with this over time, over time, you're just going to be like, oh, yeah, I believe that that's probably we need to use all these chemicals. Otherwise, people will starve, which is untrue.
0: Correct. That's right. Okay, I want to touch on another body of work that I just love. It's called Chemical Bouquet, where you examine the overuse of pesticides and the introduction of GMOs through the lens of ornately framed 19th century floral still life painting, Paint a picture for our listeners of what this body of work looks like.
1: Okay. Chemical bouquet. It's hand-cut collage, which is, is important to say because now with people doing digital collage, I just find it's really important because I it took me almost nine months to make these. So picture me. I have sourced from eBay and some bookstores lithographs from the 1800s, basically, of different botanicals that relate to corn, soy, canola, also known as rapeseed and cotton. And I've reproduced them hundreds of times and I've blown them up. And now I'm sitting in my studio with my Acto knife cutting them. And then I have folders of each botanical. And then I've created, for example, the one that's called chemical bouquet one, this giant chemical bouquet with all these botanicals glued down in a vase. It looks like something from a Dutch still life painting. The vase is made up of images of agent orange barrels and also inserted in these beautiful botanicals are syringes, which of course is a nod to biotech. There's also inserted into the bouquet Bear aspirin tablets. And what's interesting about this, I did this piece in 2016, and this is before Bear bought Monsanto. And the reason the aspirin pills are in there is because the aspirin refers to one of the chemicals that was owned by Monsanto before. And they're ornately gilded on the outside, so it looks like a 19th century portrait of a beautiful bouquet of flowers that you might see. But of course, as you get closer, you really have a head scratch and you go, why are these syringes coming out of my flower arrangement, essentially? Oh, and there's also little pink cow udders that are on there, which refers to RBST, which is a bovine growth hormone that was owned by Monsanto and then sold Eli Lilly, which was causing all kinds of problems in the mammary glands of cows. So -hmm. it's a pretty complex piece. But what I will say is that from afar is how I want to sort of engage people to thinking it's something that it may not be
0: right. I want to jump to an exhibit that you have in Berlin Mm -hmm. and you have word searches that people can take away. Why did you think to do that?
1: Uh, I love this. Thank you for asking me about this. So the piece is called original piece is called Monsanto scramble and a fair amount of my work has humor in it. And engagement in a way that you're potentially, you know, quote unquote, learning something, but you're having a good time doing it. And so if people are familiar with word search puzzles, where you have a square of a bunch of letters, and you have to find the word, you know, cat or something like that. So I did it with any words that are associated with Monsanto, like agribusiness, canola, chemicals, GMO glyphosate pesticides, roundup, et cetera. And the original iteration was people would come to the gallery and it would just be a pad of paper and they would do it and they would take it away. And then as I kept developing this piece when Bear bought Monsanto, I created this giant installation where it's a dry erase board. And it's probably, I think it's about five feet high and it sits on the wall and you can come up with your dry erase marker and you can try to find all these words that are associated with bear and Monsanto, and you can circle them and scratch them off. So the idea is that you're having you know, fun, but you're also going, oh, I didn't know, what does Auschwitz have to do with bear? What does soybeans have to do? What does the military have to do with bear? And so there's this, hopefully, takeaway that people are making connections that they may not have had before, but they're not getting hit over the head with it.
0: And I think the combination of using visual and physical activity or interaction with an artwork is really powerful in bringing those points home. There are so many pieces that we could talk about in our short amount of time. Is there one that you would like our listeners to know?
1: Yeah, let's talk about a recent series. It's called Science for a Better Life. And What's also interesting to note about my work, a lot of my titles and a lot of the language that I use is lifted directly from Bayer or Monsanto or Dow. So "Science for a Better Life was actually a tagline. And the pieces are vintage advertisements. In this case, there's a vintage advertisement from Monsanto and from Dow Chemical and from Bayer. And they are from anywhere from the 1950s to the 1980s. And these are original ads. So the materiality is wonderful. Like that's really important in my work. These are, I source them from eBay. So they're a little bit flimsy and they're from magazine advertisements. And then I've taken the magazine advertisements and I've done what's called redaction. And your listeners might be familiar with redaction when the US government, for example, wants to release a document for public consumption, but they have to redact sensitive information. So I have taken that tool and redacted some of the text on these ads in a way to reveal some of the truth as opposed to conceal some of the truth. And in addition to the redactions, I've also added some collage material that changes the imagery of the original ad.
0: Well, I am going to provide a couple of links for our listeners. One to your webpage. I think the Billboard Creative Interview is excellent because it has images and you've got places where people can interact online and listen to the powerful advertising messages that went along with these products.
1: Yes, you could also direct people to about my slogan poems piece, which people might be interested in.
0: Yeah. You brilliantly use words and interaction. Have you ever done a pre and post evaluation of the impact of your work?
1: That is such an excellent question. Only I would say, so I had a big show at the College of Charleston, and I interacted with a lot of staff and a lot of students. And there was some forms that the students and visitors to the museum would write, but nothing really formal.
0: Yeah. I'm curious about that based on an an exhibit on propaganda that I had seen in Washington, D.C. at the Holocaust Museum. And I thought it was such an interesting way to see the impact or if a particular exhibit made an impact and how and how that might then reflect back on tweaking future exhibits. It's just a thought. We are running out of time but I have to ask you one more question. You've got a show opening January 2024 titled Feast or Famine. I believe it's in is it Charleston, South Carolina?
1: Actually Palo Alto, California. Oh,
0: Palo Alto, California. Okay. Yeah. Tell me what's in that.
1: So that it's a group exhibition and it's basically interrogating various forms of agriculture, food, modes of creativity that talk about what it means to be in our current time, right? And in dealing with food issues.
0: Okay, well, I will provide links to your work. Is there any last message you want to leave our listeners with?
1: Yeah, I will say if people are interested in what I'm doing sort of next, I am starting to investigate the impact of the herbicide paraquat, which has been in the news lately. There's connections to Parkinson's. And I really wasn't familiar to Paraquat and Syngenta now owns that or has owned that. So I'm working on some larger collages and possibly shaped pieces that would be on the floor and kind of on the wall. So stay tuned, I would guess, for that.
0: Sounds really important. Yeah. Also chlorpyrifos, if you're looking for another one right, with the harms to children and the difficulty in getting that particular herbicide banned. I need to close. I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemelgarn for KOPN in Columbia, Missouri. But most of all, I want to thank my guest, Ms. Kirsten Stoley, a visual artist whose works in elaborate collage, text-based images and installations intersect art, science, and culture. Her work is research-based, uniquely examining the global influence of agrochemical companies on our food system and our health. Kirsten, thank you so much for bringing art to these critical discussions.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate our conversation.